Happy Sunday, everyone. I hope you are doing well. Just wanted to pop in here and remind you that we will be coming at you live from DC at the Kennedy Center on March 28th. I cannot wait for this day. The guests that are joining me are phenomenal and I am just excited to share space with all the Hey Girl podcast listeners. So if you can make it, please join us. You can get tickets at the link in the episode notes. I am so excited to see you. Enjoy today's chat with therapist Maria Sosa. Take care. Hi, I'm Alex L. and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey girl. Hey girl. Maria, it's so nice to chat with you today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on, Alex. I'm really excited to learn more about your work and your offerings to the world. I'm a very big fan of what you're doing. But before we dive in, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. Oh, I'm going to get all philosophical because I was just thinking about this idea of who I am and how I've always defined it in terms of what I do. And that's just my profession or my job. But, you know, that's another topic for another time. But (laughs) I am a registered marriage and family therapist. I am also a holistic health coach. I am an intuitive eating counselor, human, lover of life. I narrowed it down. I think that would be it. Yes, that's how I would describe myself. How did you get started in your work as a counselor and intuitive eating? I definitely want to touch on that mostly in our conversation because I haven't seen much about that specifically online as therapists start to use their platforms to reach new folks and also encourage people to lean on therapy and get that support. So how did you start in your work and what makes you passionate about the different types of therapy that you offer your clients? Yes. So I actually did not start in therapy or in psychology or in coaching to begin with. I actually went to school for marketing and public relations because that's kind of what I was told that I needed to do by my parents and bless them. I know that they wanted me to have a good life and make money and be successful down that route, but I absolutely hated it and I was not happy or satisfied in the things that I was doing. And so I just knew that it was, I needed to make a change. I need to do something different with my life because financial planning was not my thing. So I went back to school for psychology and then I went and received my master's in marriage and family therapy. And while I was doing that, I kind of got a little bit obsessed with healthy eating and being the healthiest version of myself. And that became this very rigid very structured and unhealthy way of eating and treating myself. I mean, towards everybody else, to everybody else, it looked like I was this perfect image of health. I was eating my smoothies, I was at the gym, I was working out and up and down and all around this image of health, but I wasn't eating properly. I definitely Mm. wasn't consuming the nourishment that I needed. I remember waking up in the middle of the night starving and going to eat spoonfuls of almond butter because I hadn't fed myself. I wasn't eating enough calories. But this idea of you are healthy and you are great, keep doing what you're doing kept being reinforced because my body looked a certain way because I showed off this image of health. 
And I kept going with it. I really did because I thought that that's what health was. And it was everywhere. It's in the magazines. It's in newspapers. Look at me. I just dated myself. Whoever. (laughs) (laughs) It's everywhere, right? This idea of keto and intermittent fasting. This is what you're supposed to be doing for health. Meanwhile, all these things kind of developed into digestive problems. So the more that I restricted or the more that I focused on my eating habits, I was putting a lot of stress on my body to be this perfect eater or be perfect at eating. Yeah. So the oddest thing would start to happen. I would eat a salad or I would eat a smoothie and my stomach would just start getting really gassy, really, really, really gassy and and full and very bloated. And I had no idea what was going on. Why am I having these reactions to foods that are supposedly the best, the cleanest and the greenest? And it wasn't until I started my platform on Instagram that I fell into the world of intuitive eating. And it was through a friend who had had an eating disorder before. And I had never considered that what I was doing was disordered eating or what is called orthorexia, which is an obsession with eating healthy and eating the right way. Never, ever considered that. And so as I started learning more about it, I said, okay, I think this is what I need. I think I need to go this route. It's what I believe in, but I'm not applying it. I do believe that there is body diversity. I do believe that there's so many things that we are taught that are not good for our mental health. And I need to try this. I need to see if this is something that is good for me. I need to see if this is something that my life could be because what I'm doing right now isn't working and it's showing in my body through these digestive issues. And Alex, within two months of becoming an intuitive eater, my digestive problems completely stopped. They were gone. There was just no more gas. There was nothing creating this bloating feeling in my stomach just because I was being more flexible with the things that I was eating. I was giving myself unconditional permission to eat. I was Mm. looking at my body in a different way than what I had before. Exercise as well. Exercise was always weight loss. Exercise was always sweating and being in the gym forever and burning off the calories. And that turned into how do I want to move my body today? And, And how does that look from day to day? So I do what I do. And I preach what I preach because it's what worked for me by sharing my story and by being vulnerable in that somebody else can say, oh, that's happening to me. And I've heard it. I've heard people saying I'm having terrible digestive issues right now. I've been on so many diets and this is going on and I'm obsessing about food and constantly thinking about it. Can you help? That is extremely moving and powerful. And I think also a really vulnerable thing to share as a therapist, but also as a human being. A friend of mine who was a therapist as well often says, you know, human first, therapist second. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's really important to hone in on here, specifically when you're telling this story about how intuitive eating transformed the way you move through the world. And then in turn, you're able to really take your experience, your personal experience, and apply it to how you interact with your clients and the women or people you're coaching 
what has it taught you in addition to what you shared about the importance of self-nurturing, tuning into your body and your self-care practice, not only as a practitioner, but as an individual who is in this work and also a flawed human being who has to try and keep going and try again. How has that been for you? And how has it um, shown you flexibility and vulnerability as an individual, but also as a therapist? Mm, Yeah, that's such a good question. And this image of me tuning into myself is what kept popping up as you were talking. I had never really done that before because I never believed that I was the expert of myself, especially not when it came to eating. So everybody else knew what I was supposed to eat. Everybody else knew what health meant. The experts outside of me, outside of my body had the knowledge. I never thought that I had my own answers, which is so crazy because as a therapist, we always tell our clients, you have all the answers within you. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to guide, but you have all the answers. And it's so odd that I saw that in myself, but never as it related to nutrition and never as it related to self-care, right? So Mm -hmm. self-care always had this look that was decided from an external standpoint. So Mm. somebody else got to decide what self-care looked like. Self-care looked like being at the gym and burning off calories and sweating off storm. That was what somebody else defined, right? And so I followed that idea of self-care. And self-care looked like eating this certain way and making sure that you looked at every single ingredient and know you're not allowed to eat sugar because it's quote-unquote addictive, which is not true, by the way. But it was being decided by somebody else. So how ridiculous that self-care was others care i wasn't Mm. defining it it wasn't Mm. mine it wasn't my own i wasn't owning it so that developed into this idea of checking in of tuning in of inner wisdom what do i need how do i need to move today to feel great. So this morning, I went for a walk with my husband. And when we got to the end of the road or the cul-de-sac, I just did a little mini dance party. I was like, I'm going to dance. I'm going to throw my hands up in the air and move my body in a way that it doesn't always move self-care because that was what I needed in that moment. And I got to decide that by myself. And I think that is one of the things that I'd love to incorporate for myself, this idea of self, my own truth, and then also give that sense of empowerment to the people that I work with, of redefining, of self-determining what you need rather than what has been determined or decided for you. That is so powerful. I want to talk about self-expertise. And when you got that click, like this is what I've been missing. I have been missing the check-in with myself to see what actually works for me. And I think this is important to touch on because self-care is such a trend right now. We see it everywhere. I've actually 
kind of try to shift away from using that term just because it can be so rooted in anxiety for a lot of people, even though I know what I mean when I say it. Other people can be like, goodness, does my self-care have to look like Alex? You know, Alex's? Does it have to look like journaling and and meditation and yoga? Like, that's not my self-care. You know, I want it to look different. And I really, really love that self-expertise that you honed into. So can we talk about that a little bit? And when your aha moment was to give yourself the permission to show up in your self-care practice and your self-work and do what actually worked for you and not what the experts or the outsiders were saying could be, you know, your saving grace. Instead, it's like, hey, I can take what they're saying with a grain of salt, apply it to my life if it feels good and right. But if it doesn't, I can leave it behind. So when was that aha moment for you? started applying the concepts of your body has so much wisdom and your body is amazing that it kind of triggered a lot of things even from my childhood I was raised in a way that was very there's got to be respect towards your parents and parents are always right and don't you question and so that turned into school teachers are always right they are never wrong so don't question then that became adulthood and university and bosses and And it just kind of this little seed that got planted from my childhood grew into this big, huge oak tree of everybody else is right. Everybody else is an expert, but you. Mm, Wow. Yes. You know what I mean? And I think we all have that seed that doesn't allow us to kind of see past this idea of experts as experts of our of ourselves Mm. you know kind of having information that was very counter to dominant culture was so impactful for me and kind of opened up a whole can of worms and got me to explore things that I hadn't thought about before and it's been a journey and it's something that I'm still working on. It's something that I'm still kind of understanding and seeing a lot of these things that happened in my childhood that I would have never thought of as traumatic. But now I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. And that was definitely difficult. And that's definitely impacted me and where I am today and the person that I am. So intuitive eating definitely was that catalyst to start digging deeper. And now it's just everywhere. I can't stop it. It's actually sometimes exhausting. (laughs) Once you turn that light on and you see how much we shut out our inner wisdom and how much we've been told that we don't have that inner wisdom, then you're like, oh, no, I value your opinion, but I'm going to listen to myself for a yeah. bit here. Yeah. When I go to the gym even, and I'm working with a personal trainer sometimes, I will tell him, I'm not feeling this today. What I need today is this. And how I need to move my body today is this way. Which isn't something that you would say to your personal trainer. You know, the personal trainer knows how you're supposed to move your body and teaches you and guides the way. But no, that's not what I'm standing for anymore. And that's not what I'm allowing in my life. I'm going to let you know that my knees are a little sore that my lower back is this so can we accommodate and make sure that I'm not pushing or putting my body in a situation that isn't where it needs to be right now 
I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about upbringing. There's something on your page that really stood out to me. It says, it's a quote from you and it says, I'm needy, but then there's a line through it. And then it said, my needs were not fully met or acknowledged as a child. And as an adult, I struggled to find safety in relationships and seek continuous reassurance from my partners. So I love how you're able to, in your work, switch these kind of negative affirmations to or negative self-talk rather, not affirmations, how you're able to shift the negative self-talk to something that allows us to dig deeper. So instead of I'm needy, we press pause and say, hey, I'm not needy. I had X happen to me and it makes it challenging for me to do X. Can you talk about how that plays a role in, number one, your teachings, and also how you encourage your clients and folks that you're engaged with online, how it encourages them to stop, pause, and think about different ways to look at negative self-talk and unfolding into maybe a more compassionate answer for ourselves in those moments of negativity? Yeah. So first of all, I think that words are so powerful and and you know this, but the way that we word things and how we frame things can make a huge difference in the way that we see ourselves. So the Mm -hmm. word needy, nobody wants to be needy. That's very much seen as a negative and kind of like, ah, kind of, you know, what you don't want to be needy, especially not in a relationship, right? So that's seen as a very negative trait. And when we carry that trait of I am needy, now we've added this weight onto ourselves of being needy. And I kind of feel the weight of that neediness. So first of all, that idea of words having power. Second is the idea that all behaviors, or at least in my opinion, all behaviors are adaptive. All behaviors serve a purpose. There is rarely a time that I've seen anybody act It may look irrational, you're acting irrationally, but there is a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So your behaviors regarding your constant need, the need to be reassured that you are loved, the need to be reassured that you are safe, that's probably because you weren't safe. That's probably because you weren't shown love right? And there's a bit of a gap there, a bit of a hole that's missing for you. And we need that growing up. We need to feel safe. We need to feel love in order to have a strong foundation for our adulthood. And so when we don't, then we're kind of seeking it everywhere that we can in our relationships with our loved ones, with our work. And we try to find it wherever we can because it's missing. I think that rather than giving ourselves that title of I am needy and carrying that weight with us, what would happen if we we reframed it and kind of understood ourselves as doing the best that we can, as making the best out of a tough situation and having arrived at this place with the best intentions, which aren't always the most adaptive, Mm. right? So it's not the most adaptive, but we can understand it. And once we start to understand it and give ourselves that compassion, then that's where I think that we can start to change and shift. Nobody changes from shame. Nobody changes if you're told you're needy and you're shameful and what you're doing is wrong. No. But if you tell somebody, it makes sense that you acted this way. It makes total sense that this is how you got to where you are with that compassion. Then that person can say, oh, so I'm not 
crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. Okay, so can I do something different or can I try something different? How can I create a shift in my life? Because what I'm doing isn't working. It's neither good nor bad. It's just not working for me right now. So how can I do that? Something that comes up for me in life these days is trying to hold space for self-compassion, especially when I feel like I'm overreacting about something or my feelings are getting the best of me. So something I've been asking specifically when I'm interacting with my husband and we may not be seeing eye to eye or things just feel kind of big and heavy and challenging, I'll ask him, do you understand where I'm coming from? Can you see how that hurt me? Or he'll say the same thing. You know, do you see how that may have hurt me or or makes me feel? And it gives us a second to pause and think about how we are making each other feel, but also like trying to discover our own personal answers and understand where the other person is coming from. So as a registered marriage and family therapy intern, how do you find that asking those questions to our loved ones and also reflecting on them ourselves gives space for vulnerability, bravery, love, and understanding? Oh, that is so powerful. And I think you just said it. It gives us space. It gives us that time Mm. to pause. And now we're not saying things that are coming right from the tip of our tongue, right? It's not just flowing out. We're giving ourselves that time, that pause to kind of think and say, okay, what else is going on here? Or how is this person feeling, right? I'm tuning into myself, but can I also tune in to the person right in front of me and what they're going through and what their struggles are at this moment? And it's something that I also practice as well in my relationships. I'm very, very, very intentional with Mm. my pauses and intentional with the way that I express myself. And so I will say what you're saying right now is hurtful to me because it reminds me of when I was a child. It reminds Mm. me of my father telling me that mistakes were a failure and that if I was making mistakes, then I was a failure. So the way that you're talking to me right now is kind of getting to that little me right now. And Mm. it's not comfortable. I, I want you to know that it doesn't feel good and... Just, just wanted to let you know that. So I think we need those moments because that space to kind of even have those thoughts and maybe we don't even say it, but we acknowledge that time or that space for somebody else's reality, right? Mm, that's, wow. Somebody else's reality, that time and that space, that's pretty big and major. Before we wrap up our time together, I want to talk about identity and how that's shaped you as who you are today. I saw you comment, or maybe it was on one of your posts or someone else's post that we follow about your identity as a Latina woman. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to unfold that a little bit and share with the Hey Girl listeners how your identity as a Latina has shaped your work, has shaped your intuitive eating, and has shifted the way that you move through the world in this specific mental health field. 
Yeah, so that's something that I'm still unpacking, actually. I am originally from Venezuela, and I moved to the United States when I was nine. So all my culture, all my family is from Venezuela, and yet I have spent most of my life living in the United States. And I'm also white, and so the perception of what a Latina is, is not what I look like. And that is what somebody had been talking about online about this idea of microaggressions and having this belief that a certain ethnicity or a certain race or whatever it may be looks a certain way, speaks a certain way, has a certain accent. I don't fit into any of those identified characteristics, especially because I don't also, I, I also don't have an accent. That's another thing that is very much a perception of what a Latina, or maybe not in the United States, but I guess of an immigrant who speaks such good English, or I really understand everything you're saying, you know, those little comments when they people hear me talking in Spanish, they're like, wow, I I had no idea that you could speak Spanish. You don't look like you could speak Spanish. Mm. Right? Yeah. So this idea of myself as a Latina is also interesting because being from Venezuela, currently it's going through a very tough political, cultural, socioeconomic time. And I think that I've tried to distance myself from that because it's not a place that I always associate with goodness or good things. And so I've tried to definitely keep my space from that. So that kind of is a loss of identity for myself at times to not be connected to those roots and to not be so in tune with my cultural needs, right? Mm -hmm. And then also wanting so bad since I was young to be an American because America was the land of opportunity, the land of goodness, And so I let go of all these things that were part of my culture because I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to assimilate and to be just, I wanted to fall under the radar. I didn't want anything that would make me stand out. Mm. And so recently I've just been like, oh, and I had a a conversation last night actually with um, Dr. Jennifer Mullen from Decolonizing Therapy, unpacked a lot of this ethnicity and I had this deep need to kind of connect to my roots and kind of get into that and learn more about my ancestry and learn more about my family that kind of take off all these boards, you know, kind of like when you board up a house and you kind of like put up those boards everywhere and you don't let any light in. I'm kind of looking forward to allow some light in and Mm -hmm. kind of start exploring myself as a Latina and kind of doing more for the Latino and Latinx community because I don't think that I'm doing enough. I think that that is something that I want to work on. And obviously I do therapy in Spanish, but am I in tune or am I rooted in my identity as a Latina? I don't think so. But I do believe that it's something that is worth taking a deep dive into. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bartram and me, Alex L. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. 